I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. I have nothing to say. <laughs> So until somebody has something to ask or talk about, we'll sit here in silence. As soon as you want to say something, raise your hand, and you'll be hit with a microphone. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Okay. Um, I wanted to ask if you could talk a bit about um, your relationship with Maharaji and 
um, maybe the difference between love as we know it in the sense of in the sense of a romantic relationship or relationships and the love that you felt when you were with Maharaja. Thanks for thinking that I know the difference. <laughs> Each of us is uh, lives in our own world. Each one of us, our own individual worlds. It's a completely subjective, subjective reality. I look out at you, and I see you. And whatever I see kind of pushes buttons in my head. And so I think I know, okay, that's what that person's like. That person's grumpy. That person hates me. That person <laughs> loves me. You know, this is what we do all day long. 24-7 for our whole lives. And it was no different with Maharaji on, one, on our side. We were seeing our projection of Guru, our version of Guru, and he, being the indwelling presence in each, in the heart of everyone, every being in the universe, that's what a real Guru is. That's what God is. That's what true self is. Guru, God, and self, not different capitalized self. So he being completely uh, free of subjectivity would mirror what we needed to see for us, what we wanted to see. But inside of that subjective take on him, he would manifest real love. Whereas in our lives, that kind of love doesn't usually come up too much. And if it does arise, it doesn't stay very long. Because we want something, we need something, and so we try to get that love, find that love on the outside, as if there is an outside. That's the funny thing. We assume there is, because we, we have car accidents with cars that are on the outside. We have relationships with people who we feel are on the outside. We go through our whole lives as if we're on the inside and everything else is on the outside. May not be like that. And a guru is, you can't even say what a guru is, but I was gonna say the guru knows that. Whether he knows he knows or he doesn't know he knows, doesn't matter, but the guru is that indwelling awareness in each being. Presence, awareness, reality, love. That's real love. And um, so being with a being like that lets you kind of enter into that room where the real love lives with it. And that's within you, within us. It's not outside. But because we think it's outside, we, we get attached to different forms of people. And I got very attached to Maharaji's body. And uh, I suffered terribly when it disappeared. But that was my problem, not his. 
He wasn't attached to my body. In fact, he wasn't attached to anybody, not even his own body. So, because he saw that that's not reality. You know, we, in this room, we all sit here and each one of us pr probably, if not, don't raise your hand, don't let anybody know. <laughs> but most of us sit here and we think that, you know, I'm me and you are you, right? And based on that, we go through our lives. We like some people, we don't like other people, we want this, we don't want that. We go through, you know, based on who we think we are. Underneath who we, underneath who we think we are, always here, always present, is real love. That's Guru, that's God. And, and to be with somebody who can allow you to feel that and can open you up to feeling that is a great blessing. And you know, there's a great book called uh, Love Everyone. I don't know if you know about it. It's a pretty new book about, about Maharaji. And it was compiled from the diaries of many of the old devotees, old Western devotees who were there. And uh, this woman, Parvati, put it together. And when you read it, it kind of takes you through a day with Maharaji. You know, if you, the, dar the different darshans, the different times we spent with him. And everybody's, you know, you'll read about a half a page of what this person's thinking about. And then the next half a page is what somebody else is thinking about and experiencing in the same moment. Completely different. You know, that was the amazing, that was one of the many amazing things about it. So, Ten people could sit there with, for two hours with him and go back and write what happened, and you'd have 10 completely different stories that almost you couldn't, there wouldn't be one thing that was the same, except he hit me with a banana. <laughs> and that you could tell actually probably happened. <laughs> but the rest of it was just, it was really extraordinary. He loved each one of us, he loved everyone, in that just the way they wanted and need to be loved needed to be touched. Just the way Krishna danced with the gopis, he manifested 108 different forms for all the, each one of the gopis and loved each one of them the way they secretly desired to be loved. That's big time. Very big time. That's avatar time. So, how are we going to get out of this subjective, totally colored version of, of life? You know? Do we think it's enough to go through life like that? Hating these people, loving these people, wanting this, not wanting that, avoiding this, holding on to this? Is that, that going to do it? I, I, no, it's, it was, you know, for me it was never going to do it. Even when I was 15, I couldn't. I knew there was something wrong here. <laughs> it was me, of course. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, once a month or two, I go out to dinner with 
six, seven, or eight of my old high school friends. We're talking 50 years ago, right? More. And um, so the other two, two dinners ago, for the first time, they all know me. They all know what I do. They, they all know where I've been and how crazy I am in their eyes. But they love me. It's nice of them. <laughs> Very compassionate of them. We, the love is there. It's so sweet, you know. It's just to hang out with these people who still talk to you like you are in a homeroom, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, so for the first time, like, I've been doing this on and off for about four years now. I reconnected with these folks four or five years ago. One of them said to me, uh, so why did you go to India? What's all that about? What did you, what, what's all, what are you mad about, you know? And I was shocked because no, no, but not one of them had ever asked me that question in all the time we've been hanging out together. So I just said, you know, um, you know, I always felt that there was something missing in my life. I, you know, I, I just felt there was something I, I, I needed that it was gone, that like a hole in my, my heart or something. It was. And the next thing he said was, "Really? I never felt that." Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right? Whoa! Right? They never felt that. So what to do, right? Yeah, here, have another vodka. <laughs> um, it's, that was a mind-blowing to me. Really mind-blowing. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to not feel what I felt, which led me to do whatever happened next, right? I never felt that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, if we want that love, if we don't want to suffer uh, needlessly, then um, some practice has to be done. It's only a spiritual practice that will help extricate us from the completely immediate knee-jerk attachment and identification to our thoughts and emotions and stories that we tell ourselves. And we're doing that all the time. We create, we're not just living life, we're telling ourselves a story about what's happening based on our own prejudices, our own way we see things, how we were brought up and, you know, it goes really deep. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's, it's not like we're doing something wrong, but this is the way we've been programmed. So there's that, and there's also the fact that we're all here together today. Now that's pretty amazing too. There's a lot of other things we could be doing, and we're not. We, we've come here to, for some reason, and the bottom line reason is that we need something that we don't have yet. And that's that thing that my friend didn't have, right? So there are people who don't have that, uh, who don't recognize that 
the thing is, everybody wants the same thing. But for some reason or other, there are people who understand that it might be possible to find it. And there are people who, for whom that thought never arises. Never arises. Never. So the karmas are not there this life for them to uh, get some kind of self-awareness and find some something real in life. You know, they're not bad people. Those people, they're not bad. They they want just what we want, but they don't know that it's possible. So there's a real kind of sadness there that there's nothing to find. Why look? You know, when I went to India, I, I I wanted to see it. I went there to find out if, if that love really did exist, you know. Luckily, it did. It does. But we still have to find our way into it, so to speak. And we can't keep uh, blundering through our lives with our eyes closed and imagine that we're going to find something. Got to do some practice. Got to start waking up a little bit. Right? Well, you, you don't have to change your life. I mean, it's not, nothing you're doing, nothing we're doing is wrong. But we, start, we have to start adding another vector into our daily life, which is a little practice, which is slowing ourselves down and starting to pay a little bit of attention to our motivations and not intellectually so much, but just to notice how we, what, why we do what we do and why we feel how we feel most of the time. And chanting is, is, is certainly one of those practices. It's, it's the practice I do most. These names have uh, have, uh, these names are direct. These, you know, they say that name and what is named are not different, or God and his or her name are not different. That's a very interesting statement. So that means when I say Ram, where's Ram? You know, not different. So the name and what is named is not different. And like I said, Maharaj used to say, go on, sing your false, fake Ram Ram. One of these days you'll get it right once. Boom. So, so it's, it's seeds. It's like planting seeds. Every action is a seed. Every action is karma. A karmic seed that get, gets planted. If we plant seeds of, of anger and greed and selfishness and, and manipulation, people, those kinds of seeds will grow. If we plant seeds of compassion and kindness and caring and awareness of people's, other people's uh, unhappiness, then that's what will grow. It's simple. It's not easy. But it's simple. 
राम नाम करने से सब पूरा हो जाता है महाराज फ्रॉम रिपीटिंग दीज नेम्स एवरीथिंग इज मेड फुल एंड कंप्लीट एवरीथिंग इज ब्रॉट द फुलनेस पूर्ण पूरा The practice of chanting uh, ripens us, ripens our hearts. And um, it's not our job to keep cutting little pieces off of the fruit to see if it's ripe yet. <laughs> our job is to keep the fruit in the sun of the repetition of the names and let it ripen. That's all. Do the practice and do your life. That's it. No big deal. You don't have to change anything. Things will change. Because from this practice, the way we feel about things starts to change. How we see ourselves starts to change. And then as we see things differently, we act differently. It's it, it's like I we've been born in total darkness, right? And as we grow up, it stays dark. And so we think this is the way things are. Those shadows out there are kind of scary. And those things moving in the dark look like demons, and you know, it's like whatever it is. But then. The sun starts to rise. It just even begins to start a little bit of light, and all of a sudden things look differently. You know, oh wow, good. That's just a tree. That that that's just a a demon. <laughs> so we see things differently. So we feel differently. We act differently. Right? It's not it's not like we have to kind of do anything special, but through these practices that. That sun of love and awareness starts to rise in our hearts, and we see things differently. People don't look so scary. So, and then uh, we're able to extend ourselves to people more. We're not. There's not so much at stake. Uh, social situations change. Everything looks different. The happier you are, the less you need other people to make you happy. That takes the pressure off of them. Then they can be who they are around you. They don't have to be who you want them to be all the time. That's a heavy burden. So, Can't think yourself out of a prison that's made of thought. Never going to happen. It's not about understanding any of this stuff intellectually. Yeah, some general view enough to keep you on the road instead of driving through the fields uh, is good. But that's any more than that. Just a waste. Is it can be a a barrier and a problem. 
It's harder to give up what you think about, what you think is real, because you, you really attach to that version of things. It's hard to give that up. So, can't think yourselves, ourselves, out of the thought, out of prison that's made of thought. Every thought is the prison itself. Because we identify, we actually think we're thinking. Sometimes we actually sit down to think. That's interesting. I wonder how that works. Let me think about that. <laughs> So Maharaji is, is like the sun, he just keeps shining. He shines on everyone equally. Um, he didn't love anybody more than anybody else. He loved everybody equally. It might have been expressed differently according to the need of that individual. One time, there was this one guy there who used to run away all the time. One day Maharaji said, where is he, where is he? Where's he gone? Find him. Where, where, could he, where do you think he went? What, what happened? Here's this guy who knows everything, right? Oh, where'd he go? Where'd he go? He said, I've fallen in love with him today. I got so jealous. I'm falling in love with that son of a bitch. What about me? <laughs> Damn. But it's all, it's all play. I hated that guy. <laughs> I really hated him. And I was sitting in front of Maharaji with him once, and Maharaji looked at the two of us, and he pointed, looked at me, and he pointed to the guy and said, you love him so much. And I looked at him, and I totally fell in love with him. Oh. To this day, when I think of him, my heart goes, ah. I don't know what happened. I hated him two seconds before that. <sighs> Question. Who's got the mic? Okay, hi. Hi. So you mentioned about having a void and seeking to fill that void. And so having had the experience with Manaraji, to piggyback on this gentleman's question, how did that experience then translate back into, uh, and this doesn't have to be personal to you per se, but in your experience, how does it all translate back into the romantic relationship, in your opinion? Well, what about just any relationship? What about how does it translate at all to life, you know? Um, <clears throat> It changes everything on one hand, but it didn't eradicate the karmas that I had uh, already, uh, you know, that was still to work themselves out. They still were coming, you know, looking back, you know, at, at that time, um, it changed a lot. First of all, I knew that there really is something to find, that it is real. 
And all I have to do is clean my heart and calm my mind. And right, so you know, I'm still waiting. You know. I think tomorrow I'll start meditating. You know. Maybe the day after. Busy tomorrow. Um, but on the other hand, on one hand, like I said, it changed everything because now there was a context for being alive. Whereas before, there wasn't. I mean, I was hoping there was, but I didn't really know that. But then after that, being there in India and those years, and everything, you know, was different. I, my whole way of living in the world changed to some degree. But it didn't obliterate the real, the heavy, a lot of the heavy darkness in my heart. And that darkness manifested very fiercely over the years and took me down a lot of places, I, you know, I would have never thought I would have gone after being with Maharaji. Most people get fucked up before, <laughs> but I was too scared to do that. I had to wait till afterwards to get screwed up. And I did, royally. So. But, but then there's a, you can't, and as bad as it gets, most of the time, you know that uh, you have a sense that these are your karmas manifesting, and the, the more you deal with them, the better it is. The, you know, the more ways you find to deal with them and be present with it as much as you can the easier it gets. But that's not easy to do. I almost feel as if this could be a conversation, actually. What else is it? Well, isn't this my living room? <laughs> or your living room? Yeah. So it sounds like life only began at that point, per se. No, it sounds like the, the lights went on for a minute, <laughs> and then they went off again, you know? But once they've gone on, you see what's in the room to some degree. And then it's not so, it changes a lot. First of all, you know there's a door over there. You just have to get to the door to get out. Before that, you didn't know what was there. So you might head, you know, you're bumping around trying to find a way out, but you don't even know if there is a way out. So you don't might give up very easily, which most people do. So on that note then, in terms of your relationship with life in general, as you said, as opposed to just the romantic side of things. Okay, what do you mean by, you said that twice, what do you mean by romantic? Well, I actually just thought it based on where, based on his question. So, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in life, uh, the, one of the things that we seek to accomplish, at least, well, I'd say for me, is to have a certain degree of sacred partnership. Mm -hmm or whatever that might look like, you know, in terms of a romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. And having gone through that experience, sometimes I what, wonder... What experience? The experience of being with Maharaja. Oh, okay. It's, sometimes I wonder, it's like, <laughs> there's a song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... It's like that. Yeah. There's a wonder, like, what happens after that experience in, in that realm, you know? 
Look here, look at it. This is what happened. <laughs> I'm looking at you for a couple of hours. You know, I don't know what's behind the curtain there, right? There's so nothing behind the curtain. It's the same shit you see. <laughs> Very few secrets left, especially in the days of social media. <laughs> Ramdas talks about the time he was standing in line at a porn uh, outside, waiting to buy a ticket at a porn movie. You know. And the guy behind him goes, are you Ramda? <laughs> he said, yes. <laughs> Bought his ticket and went in. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the other thing that happens. You, you also start to accept all, this, all the parts of your life a lot more easily. All the shadows. You have this, you know, the shadows, if we don't see them, they just keep pushing us around. And they don't go away by themselves. They must be looked at, they must be released, consciously released, to some degree. So, when Maharaji sent me back to America after two and a half years, he said, you, you go back to America, you have attachment there. So, this, this, is, this is what's left after 50 years of dealing with attachment. Just, you know, me and my main squeeze here. <laughs> And my life, you know, but the, I think one of the things you're asking is I'm not looking for that love in anybody anymore, in a person, in a human being, you know. Uh, that love I understand to be the, 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 the like, like the sky that holds everything within it. We're all inside of that love all the time. Most of us are trapped inside of me, so we don't feel that space that we're all a part of. That's how I see Maharaji now, and that's how I see the love now. That love can be manifested by a person, you know, to some degree. But only a true saint, a true guru can actually, have be, who's become that, can, is that. You know, so can transmit that, so to speak. Human beings can only transmit what human beings have to transmit. Whatever that is. Affection, kindness, caring, compassion, tenderness, partnership, friendship, all those things. Neediness, greediness, anger, shame, fear, guilt. That's, that's our world. That's not the same world as... And, and that whole world is held in the, in the arms of this vast sky of love all the time. There's nothing outside that. Couldn't be. But we don't know that. We, we, we're not aware of that. Know what to do. That's why he sent me home. First of all, I would have died within a year or two if I had stayed there. I was so sick, <laughs> ridiculously sick. And um, and second of all, I would have never, my, I would have never had a chance to live through the um, untying of the knots in my own heart. You know, it had to be done this way. That's I guess because that's what happened. There are other people who've gone to India, they've become monks or nuns, and they've stayed there their whole lives. 
You know, I, that wasn't me. I thought it was me, but it wasn't. And he knew that. That's why he sent me back. Thank you so much. And uh, I had a question about the Hanuman Chalisa. Is anything you could say about your journey with that, um, what your teacher uh, said about it, and how your experiences of the of chanting Hanuman's name? Well, Maharaji said that um, every uh, word of the Hanuman Chalisa is Maha Mantra. So the whole thing is the name, repetitions of the names, which he considered to be the, the practice that we were uh, qualified to do. Uh, when we asked him, how do we find God? He said, serve people. You know, how do we raise Kundalini? He said, feed people. Love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. That was his main, that was basically what he told us. What he told other people, uh, we have no idea. But that's what he taught us. But, but pretty much it was like that. You know, he was mostly with householders uh, that we know. And, and he was part of every family. And he was involved in all the decisions in the family and the children angry at their parents and the parents fight, you know, all things. He was just involved in every, all of it, all the time. And he helped these people live good lives and he blessed them and he made, many times he helped them overcome tremendous obstacles and uh, healed them, healed the sick and raised the dead and the whole spiel. That's what he did. Very much in the world. There's a beautiful story about um, one day he was walking down the street in uh, Brindavan in the middle of the summer. It was like 120 degrees, middle of the day. <clears throat> and uh, coming in the other direction was this sadhu, you know, with the, the hair and the ashes and the, the big. And they saw each other and they ran jumped around, they hugged, and they jumped around and danced, and they were just like completely, and they were so happy to see each other. And the son says, Baba, I can't believe we're meeting after 40 years. I haven't seen you since we were in the mountains together. And, and he was, everybody was so happy. They were so happy. And they hung around for a few minutes, and then Maharaj says, okay, brother, I have to go now, so you go, and I'll go this way, you go that way. And the sadhu says, I'm not leaving you. After all this time I found you, I can't go now. He says, no, no, you don't understand. You don't want to hang out with me. I'm always around householders. I'm with worldly people all the time. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. Don't, no, no, you don't, don't come with me. He said, there's no way I'm leaving you, Baba. And they fought, argued about it for like, you know. Finally, Maharaj says, okay. And they took off. And they started walking to um, Matra, which is about 18 kilometers away. In the middle of the day, in those days, there was just desert between Vrindavan and Matana. So they were literally dying of thirst. And in the distance, they saw a well. And they start running to this well, right? And Maharaji gets there first, and there's a woman uh, 
getting water from the well, whatever you call that, in a bucket. And Maharaji runs up and he puts his hands out like this. This is ma panidalo, pour water for me to drink, right? So she pours water and he's drinking like this. And now the, the sadhu arrives and he puts out his, uh, his uh, gourd, his, you know, kamandalu, this gourd cup. And the woman pours water, starts to pour water in it. And while she's pouring water, Maharaji starts chatting her up because he chatted everybody up 24-7-365. And she's, he says, where are you from? Ah, what's your village? What's your caste? You know, when, turns out she's an untouchable. When the sadhu heard that, he completely flipped out. He takes his gourd and he furiously smashes it down on the ground. And he starts screaming at Maharaji, what have you done? Look what you've done. You got me into this, and this was my only thing. I needed this for everything, and now it's become impure, and I can't use it anymore. How could you do this? And Maharaji's going, what? What? What happened? What happened? What's going on? What's going on? Oh, oh, I thought you were a sadhu. What, what, what's caste for a sadhu? What, 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 what's, what is this? I don't understand. I don't understand. What is this attachment? And the sadhu saw what happened. Maharaji said, he washed my feet with his tears and went back to the mountains to finish his work. This is the way Maharaji was. Everything that came towards him got something burnt away. Because you couldn't come close to that fire with all your shit. You had to drop it or you couldn't get there. You know, it just, just coming towards that love burn stuff off of you in the first place. And that's Hanuman. Hanuman is that love that's always turned towards Ram, towards God. And anything that approaches Hanuman gets into that flow of grace towards love. But in, but in order to enter into that flow, you have to leave some of that luggage behind. You have to. It's not always pleasant. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't always feel good, but but you want the love more than you want all that luggage, and so you will let go of that, given the opportunity. So this is Hanuman. Hanuman is, is that uh, the ability to overcome all obstacles, to break all attachment, to, to remove suffering, remove calamities from our lives, all the stuff that, that keeps us back, obstructs our path. And Hanuman Chalisa invokes the presence of that love. And uh, Maharaji gave us that chant in his own inimitable way. He never said, sing the Chalisa. He said, here. He, didn't, he never said, here, this is the Hanuman Chalisa. Learn it and then sing it to me. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do that. Everything just happened as if he was doing nothing, you know? Yeah, and this, you know, I told the story. I, we used to come to the temple every day, and they gave us this yellow, little yellow book with a picture of flying monkey on it. Right? After, I had a hundred of them in my room. And then one day, I thought to ask, "Well, what is this?" <laughs> we're Westerners. We're a little slow. A little slow. And they said, "Well, it's his prayer to Hanuman." I said, "Really." And the light went on, I thought, he said. 
why don't we learn this? And then we could sing it to Maharaji in that way. Because we knew he secretly longed to spend more time with us. <laughs> and we wanted to help him do that. It, you see, on the level that we live on, it looked like we were doing that. But you step back just a little bit from it all, you could see it's part of this grand design to, to facilitate the opening of our hearts and to facilitate our relationship with him, to, to intensify that and deepen that. And it all just happened as if no one was doing anything. It was like very unusual. So the Chalisa is Hanuman Chalisa. This Chalisa means 40, 40, a hymn of 40 verses. There are Chalisas to almost all the, de the deities, Durga Chalisa, all these Chalisas. There's a million Chalisas. Um, but this is the one, that, you know, Hanuman Chalisa is the, the one that, from this lineage of Hanuman. We're all in that lineage. Maharaji was in that lineage of Hanuman. His devotees saw him as Hanuman. So we felt we were singing to Hanuman when we sang this. And he knew what we felt. Because he uh, made us feel that way. So he opened our hearts that way. So it's a very powerful chant, partially because it's difficult to learn. You have to really commit to learning. You don't have to memorize it. You can read it. It can be read. But if you read it three or four million times, you might memorize it, you know. Uh, and what you see here uh, is uh, is uh, the fruit of that practice. The, there's a there's a, a puja that you do and you can do, which they say, Jo Whoever recites this a hundred times, all his bondage is destroyed and he's freed. And uh, the next time, whoever recites this becomes accomplishes whatever he can, whatever he wants to accomplish. So there's a particular practice in India that they teach to do, you can do, is to recite literally 108 times. You make a little puja, you put some fruit, a picture of Hanuman or Maharaji, and then you, you uh, recite the Chalisa 108 times. You can get up to go to the bathroom and make coffee and all that, but don't stop reciting. And um, you ask for a boon. Because Hanuman is a very unusual being. Um, it is not a renunciate path. It's not about renunciation uh, in the sense of being a sannyasi in the world. Hanuman not only gives there's a I, one of these days I'll find this shloka again. I found it somewhere once, but it says Hanuman not only gives liberation, but he allows for the the uh, the, the satisfaction and fulfillment of healthy desires that we have, the things that we need to have, that we need to get in our own particular karmic predicament, individually, we're talking about. 
he makes all that possible too. So it's not only that he gives liberation, but he also allows us to eat a little bit on the way. <laughs> it's like being in the dining car on the train. So uh, this is a very unusual thing, and Maharaji is very much like that. He helped people get what they wanted and what they needed in their daily lives. You know, the Indian families that we used to come see him. You know, maybe a son needs a job, no problem. You know, all kinds of things. This is what saints do in India. You know, they don't have, it's only recently they have doctors, you know, aside from Ayurveda, but mostly the poor Indian people can't afford anything. So they go see a saint and they say, Baba, I need this, you know. No problem. Well, he was funny about it. One time a couple comes and said, you know, Baba, you know, we, we don't have a son. He said, where am I going to get a son? <laughs> <laughs> but they had a son. The beautiful story, one of the priests in the Krishna temple in Mathura. It was Bal Krishna, the boy Krishna, child Krishna. He was a very nasty guy, very angry guy, and he never let the children come into the temple. So one time Maharaji goes there for darshan of Krishna, and the, the, the pujari bows down and says, Baba, you know, I'm getting old now, I have no child, I have no son, I have no children. So Maharaji says, how can you have a child when you keep the children away from him? You know, Let the children come and play and you'll have a kid. So he let the children come in and he had a kid. Well, his wife had a kid. <laughs> that would be a lot. <laughs> Not that he couldn't do it, but it's unusual. So, yeah, you know, when I went to India, you know, I really, I don't know. I, I just thought that desires weren't good, you know, that they were bad. Why, I don't know how I got that idea. It's a strange idea, isn't it? Ah, maybe the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, somebody, uh, this group of uh, Christian mission uh, ministers went to see the Dalai Lama. And they said, Your Holiness, what's your view of sin? And he went, hmm. He said, I think that's a Christian thing, isn't it? <laughs> There's no sin in an Eastern there's pop, what they call pop, which is literally means burning. So there's karmic actions that create burning, but there's no original sin, like that we're all guilty. We have to find, get a lawyer to get out of jail. <laughs> Guru's not a lawyer, so it's not like that. It's a totally different ballgame. But Westerners tend to, you know, see everything their own neurosis so we, we lay that neuros neurotic stuff on the path really quick and it's uh, not necessary so yeah I was saying so I did uh, I, I my I did the first time I did 108 chalices it took me 13 hours I think you know now I can do it in like 45 seconds <laughs> that's it But, uh, and I, I asked for a boon, and, and this is it. You're seeing, you're, this is it. Took a while. It took a lot of, I had to go through a lot of dark stuff. 
but I, you know, my boons, my boon was, it's still in process, actually, telling the truth. You know, Maharaj used to ask people, people would be sitting there, all of a sudden he'd go, what do you want? Like he'd point to somebody, what do you want? <laughs> you know, because you can't, your first thought, you know, he knows what you thought, and then he sees the lie coming out of your mouth. You know? <laughs> but I was ready for like, I'd say for about eight months, I, I had this, my answer in my back pocket. And I just, I knew, I, you know, because I knew sooner or later it was, was going to happen. So one day he looks at me, he's like, looks, he goes, what do you want? And I looked at him and I said, prema bhakti, which is the highest state of devotion, blissful, completely blissed out devotion that never ends, right? I said, prema bhakti. He goes, oh, goes, not now, later. <laughs> I said, later. <laughs> not now, I've been in it. <laughs> I love to do that to him, you know. Anybody? Okay. There, back there and then here. This is kind of a follow-up. Um, kind of a what, follow-up? Yeah. So you said the Hanuman Chalisa is the Maha Mantra. Is there another? No, no, I didn't say that. I said every line, every word that, of Maha Mantra right. is Maha Mantra. <laughs> Maha Mantra right. means the name of God. Yes. There are some groups that say their name is the only name. God bless you. Is there another <laughs> chant that's a simpler chant that would, that has that, maybe not the equal power of it, but that gives you that same kind of feeling that the Chalisa does? No. <laughs> What a setup, eh? <laughs> They're all the same. All the chants are the same. I once, I once asked Mr. Tawari, I said, Baba, who's, who's greater, Vishnu or Shiva? He said, how can you compare infinites? <laughs> so the one you do is the most powerful one, whatever one that is. Isn't, they're all the same. What, what's important is your... Uh, commitment and your heartfulness, you know, and the, the ability to do it. So, but they're all the same. They're all the name of the same being. All being, all beings are part of that oneness. Different manifestations of that, but they're all parts of that. So all their names do the same thing. At least that's what the way I look at it. There will be other groups that will give you a different, a whole different spiel. And if you want a different spiel, you're welcome to go there. But that's the way. I, I, that's what I've absorbed from the people I've been around in my life. And even in India, when you say Ram Nam, it doesn't mean only the name of Ram Ram Ram. It means God's name, all the names. Mm -hmm.